Welcome to the Optimal Human Podcast. I'm Coach P. I'm Aiden K. And welcome to the weekend. Originally, we had planned something different for episode three, where we're going to talk in depth about metabolism. But it's the weekend. Kyle and I are chilling out. We want to do something a little different, and I think we're going to start doing this every weekend, is to have a a once-a-week episode where we simply sit back, chill, maybe have a drink, you know, a nice good uh, coffee, good cold brew, and just shoot the shit. Yeah, because there's a lot lot of, I think, random things that come up in this episode because it's, I mean, there's so many things to talk about. We talked about so many different things we think you guys are going to like. So what, there was metabolism, there was protein synthesis, there was, what do we pay attention when we lose weight? Yeah, we we talked a little bit about the problems in the fitness industry this time around and how, what what we need to tell you guys as far as what to pay attention to and what to be careful of. Yes. And for our personal trainers, listeners out there, we got some good stuff on there for you too. So, So, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, you know, nice casual talk about uh, well, a whole bunch of wonderful topics. Bunch of stuff, so look forward to it. So yeah, so this is a, a light therapy. Uh, it's called the Human Charger. Heard about the Ben Greenfield Fitness Show. Sounded awesome. This was at a time like when I was uh, I was teaching three classes at GCU, four classes at Brown University, and then I was doing something else. Do you find us doing anything for you? Yeah, actually, like when I, whenever I haven't used it for a while, but whenever I use it, um, helps with like jet lag. I've noticed, which I think might be something you want to. I'd have to look to. more into photoreceptors as zeitgeber reactions and being some sort of stimulant on the hypothalamus. But that would be yeah, that would be interesting to see if it can influence your circadian clock that way. I think that was one of the selling points that they had. But uh, for me, like it, it, it also as a they have studies showing that it improves. Uh, reaction times for athletes really uh also just overall cognition so there, there's times where uh like i'm just just zonked out tired or whatever mm-hmm. if i if i have like a six o'clock class so i'll uh i'll just pop these suckers in so like a i think it's a 12 minute 12 minute uh 10 minute i don't remember something regardless put the suckers in and then like i'm just firing all cylinders interesting yeah cool but it, it is it's it's a yeah, I'm not, I'm not really quite sure what we're recording this episode right now about, but we're just kind of talking about cool things, I think, in the fitness industry, or, or maybe even some things that aren't cool. And we'll talk about issues we see on a daily basis, and as well as common trends and topics, because uh, we, we get questions every day from random individuals about topics from all over the spectrum. All over. Such as, uh, what do you think about this new diet trend, or what do you think about this <laughs> type of therapy, or does cold therapy really work? Um, and I actually had to debunk that for the kids the other day. That was fun. In what regard? Um, because I've, I've, you know, I, I haven't read up on this in a while, but I, I've seen stuff about cold therapy and metabolism. Uh, also, a lot of naturopaths, I know this, again, I don't know, actually, I think the naturopath I talked to about this was didn't really know uh, why or the mechanisms, but... Which is usually an absence of all credibility. Yeah, so it's like, okay, this is sounding good so far. Uh, right, yeah, let me do it. But anyway, the whole idea is that you do this really cold therapy for like two or three days, maybe seven days. Uh, you know, any naturopaths listening, please chime in um, because I don't know. But it's supposed to help with a lot of hormonal imbalances, um, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, again, that's, that's like a, a quarter of a thought that I just threw out there. Sure. Well, from what we know now, um, for our listeners, when it comes to ice as a recovery tool, uh, mm. they've actually come back and said that it's no longer recommended to do it, things like post-workout or after an acute injury. That makes um, absolute sense. Due to the fact that the cold will actually blunt that inflammation response. Which is what we want. Right? Yeah, because now we're finding out that we need that in order to help facilitate the healing process. Um, so, which is why I had to debunk the whole, what, it, it, what's not called cold therapy, what's that shit? Cryotherapy. Cryotherapy, there you go. So for all like the fitness fads out there, who are all, oh I gotta get my cryotherapy post-workout, you're probably actually blunting your progress by doing so. Whereas we've actually found it to be more beneficial to apply heat, go through mobility work, take a hot shower. Uh, so if anything, hop in the sauna post-workout mm-hmm. could be more beneficial for you. Uh, not only is that going to help with just... I don't know. Keeping loose. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure exactly the science on how um, it promotes overall recovery, but it it does. I think it's somewhere around like 15 minutes will stimulate a, a is it a greater protein synthesis reaction or, or response? You know, again, something else that I haven't read up on in a while, but I, I do remember. Um, oh, 
Dang it, it just escaped me. I'll have to think about it. But I do know 15 minutes is the threshold of sitting in a sauna to elicit um, uh, heat stress proteins. There we go, heat stress there proteins. There you go. Um, so that that has been shown to aid in recovery. Again, this isn't going to turn you into Captain America or anything no. crazy like that. But but it's also been around for generations, and mm-hmm. many people swear by it. Uh, but they've also seen an actual research looking at cardiovascular risk. They've actually found that sauna use majorly throughout the week, three to five times a week or so, can reduce your cardiovascular really? risk by thirty three percent. I did not know that. Yeah, that's it, cool. They've found promote it, it promotes endothelial function. Uh, it helps with overall stress. I mean, just think about being in it. In heat for a while. Yeah. Uh, heat, as we know, as we talked about in our second episode with sleep and health, helps push your body temperature to that threshold so that you can fall asleep and more relaxing. Uh, heat also tends to help with that parasympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. response. Uh, so if you pair that, you know, take a class of hot yoga, uh, how do you feel after that? Um, even on a, a very um, kind of superficial level, when we start looking at, uh, like, when we think about chemistry, when you apply more heat to a system, you're more likely going to have more chemical reactions where there's going to be a lot more disorder or, or potential for reactions, let's put it that way. So <clears throat> adding the heat uh, can potentially, you know, increase metabolism. Now, I say that hesitantly because I know someone's going to hear that and be like, oh, well, I'll be sitting in the sauna for the next... 75 minutes and let's just increase my metabolism don't do that because you will die uh, <laughs> the whole idea though is that you know if you add more heat to a system th- there's a greater potential for it it's not guaranteed that uh, you're going to increase you know fat metabolism uh, that's another thing that I think people mistake when it comes to metabolism and um, what it actually means well the perfect segue then Kyle so yeah. let's talk about fat what is the best way to lose fat Kyle Best way to lose fat? That's kind of a loaded question because I think I have like three answers for that. Let's go with the first um, one. Let's go with the first one. Uh, stop eating so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of standard. Uh, I mean... Well, when you look at all these diets, mm-hmm. when someone comes to you and says, Kyle, what what is it about intermittent fasting that makes it work? Is Does it have an effect on your hormones? You know, what about the, what they say about ketogenic uh, diets? How are people yeah. losing weight? What is the driving force of all these the diets? The whole driving force is calories in, calories out. What does that mean? It, it's uh, Well, calories is a unit <clears throat> of energy. Right. That's how that's how we that's that's how we're measuring energy that we're actually using. So if I consume two thousand calories, it means I have two thousand energy units. And if I utilize two thousand energy units, then I'm at a net gain, net net loss of zero. So on that basic equation, and keep in mind, it is a simple but also much more complex at the same time. That if you uh, are in isocaloric consumption, as far as calories in, calories out are equal, you are going to essentially maintain the same weight. Yep, 100%. And if you want to lose weight, uh, you know, stop eating one Twinkie or run an extra mile or, or do something to manipulate one side of that equation. Yeah, when we see people saying, but what about my hormones holding on to this and that? It's just like, no, it's the fact that you're not losing weight on a particular diet isn't yeah. that, is that you're simply not in a deficit for you. Uh, Perfect. And we, um, and we come back to the law of individual differences because I yes. don't know how familiar you are. So in, what, in your own knowledge, how, my, how many calories in a pound of fat? Oh, of course, the, the average is 3,500 calories. But, but you so see. what was the key word there? Average. Average. So there was a study done a long, long time ago where they put tons of individuals into a, cal- a calorimeter, which is a room that you, you basically live in, like an apartment. And it measures all the heat that you nice give news. off throughout the day. Um, and <laughs> and well, researchers used to do this to figure out to try and compute, okay, well, how many calories is required in order for an individual to lose one pound of fat? So they would have them exercise for a certain amount of time in these rooms. And what they found is that the average individual is about 3,500 calories. But what they don't talk about often is the fact that there's everything in between or mm-hmm. the, the, the complete extremes in each direction. So, for instance, I think the lowest one they found was one person only had to burn about 1,600 calories in order to lose one pound of fat, whereas some well, poor individual had to burn upwards of 6,500 calories. I feel like just to burn, to that one. Yeah, just right? to burn one pound of fat. <laughs> so the whole, the whole uh, key message here is that not all individuals are good responders to weight loss, uh, which is unfortunate and scary because you Absolutely. can... You, that's why you can't use one formula for everyone, whether it's fat loss or strength training. Everyone responds differently. Everyone has genetic differences in that way, it's, it's the, uh, uh, which it's makes the it unfortunate. Old, old age-old phrase, everyone's different, which I hate that phrase, but it's absolutely true, right? It, it's just you can't use it as an excuse to um, 
to pound a bunch of, you know, Cheetos and, and, and Skittles <laughs> and be like, well, everybody's different, so I'm going to be okay. <laughs> um, and another thing to add on to that, let's just say 3,500 calories is, is the, the, the deficit you need to lose one pound of fat for everybody. Let's just pretend like that's the case. Um, uh, <clears throat> the... The problem is that just because I'm in a, a caloric deficit of 3,500 calories does not mean all 3,500 calories are coming from fat. I have two other constituents that it could come from, right? I, I'm going to be utilizing some protein. Obviously, I'm going to be utilizing some carbohydrates in that in that regard. So it's not that simple. Uh, it, it's somewhere, what, 83 to 87% can it, it optimally come from fat mass. The rest is going to come from lean mass. So you will lose some lean mass in a, in a caloric deficit. It's just that's the nature of the beast. So you can't, you can't gauge, you know, I want to lose a pound a week, 500 calorie deficit a day, boom, instant one pound of fat loss. But what our listeners might like to know is that there are ways in order to increase the total amount of lean mass you hold on to while you're doing that diet. Which I think now this, I'll say this is a second most important macronutrient. Uh, and I say second because water, you know, 57 to 63% of your total body, it's kind of important uh, just based on knowing that. (laughs) But the most important, and this is my opinion, and I think we've talked about this uh, offline before, uh, about, do you like how I did that? I like that. Yeah, because we're online. Well, now, well, I mean, we have internet connection now. Nah. <laughs> anyway, um, so back to what I was trying to say is that one of the most important macronutrients, or, or arguably the most important macronutrient, especially in weight loss, is protein, getting 100%. adequate protein. Yep. Uh, this, and, yeah, go, go ahead. There was a paper just came <laughs> out from the ISSN that actually showed that when you look at all diets across and compare the whether it, whether you manipulated carbohydrates or fats, proteins still remain the most important as to how much weight loss, how much of your weight loss came from lean muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you guys could, who, who, whenever you're doing a diet, always prioritize protein because that's going to yes. have the overall most impact on your ability to maintain lean muscle mass. Absolutely. You can do whatever you want with carbohydrates or fats. And I think we actually talked about this at our buddy's dinner last night yeah, uh, when it yeah. comes to, okay, well, if, if protein is the most important, then which one do I want to decrease the most, carbohydrates or fats? And I have an opinion on this. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say it's hard because there's a certain threshold in which you need fats for health. Uh, for carbohydrates, you can technically get by without but you won't be happy you won't be optimal so we kind of want to throw that whole notion out the window yeah so with that being said i want to i would say manipulate fats the most because it's going to swing the calories one way uh, a lot or or the calorie swing is a lot greater in one gram of fat nine calories per per gram versus uh four calories per carbohydrates carbohydrates are going to be great for performance especially in the like you know anaerobic sense um so I, I think there is a lot of depends. Uh, as long as you're at twenty percent, you know, roughly twenty percent caloric consumption from fat, then you know, play around with fat because you're going to be happier on carbohydrates. Yep, and I hundred percent agree with that. And just from anecdotal experience and knowing how it is our energy systems work, uh, when you're dieting and your goal is for aesthetic purposes, which is going to be most people's anyway. You're, mm-hmm. you're the whole one of the whole goals is not only to achieve better health but to improve your body composition. And if your overall goal is to keep as much lean muscle mass as possible, you have to do strength training. Yes. And when you're strength training... It, it, go ahead. I was going to say, it, why is that real quick, just just for the listeners? Strength training, why yes. is it so important for a body composition? If you're not stimulating the your muscular system to... Be able to produce a certain amount of force. You're not going to be able to need. You're not going to need that muscle yeah, mass. It's a lose it or, or lo- uh, lose it type principle, or said principle. Specific Correct. Specific adaptations, imposed demands, principle of specificity. So if you're if you're if your stimulus is nothing, you're going to be really good at nothing. Um, Which is know. why we have to tell all the cardio bunnies in the world that resort right to cardiovascular training, thinking that doing hours on the damn treadmill or stairmaster is going to be what's good for you. <laughs> You're basically doing the complete opposite of what you want because then your body's going to adapt to that, which is actually a catabolic pathway, which enhances cardiovascular endurance. Absolutely. But is going to hinder your not only to perform strength training, but to hold on or actually build muscle mass, which is going to be critical when you're trying to lose weight. Absolutely. Now, I will say this, though. With the cardio, um, I don't believe that it should be completely non-existent. I completely agree. Yeah. And my my take on that is... 
increase ability to metabolize fat or, or oxidize fat. Uh, you know, with, with uh, cardiovascular training uh, con- concurrently and, and just individually uh, or on its own, you're going to see a greater increase in actual fat metabolism. So that's that's something that should be considered. Again, that doesn't mean that we do hours on end on cardio because mm-hmm. then you're talking about the, the, the contradictions between the concurrent training. Yeah, which is why if you're going to choose any type of cardio exercise to do when you're losing weight, it's to do high-intensity interval training. Because not only is that a similar energy system to what's going to be utilized when you're doing strength training, but it'll also create a greater epoch. Now, let me let me go into epoch for just a second, oh, yeah. okay? Because epoch has been blown out of proportion uh, in, in this past. Yeah, Orange Theory got splat, no- fi- splat points. I have <laughs> I have nothing wrong with Orange Theory. Orange Theory is cool. Did they you get know I people there? in shape. Uh, you told me you worked yeah, there. Yeah, I, w- I worked there for a couple of days. I-, I nothing wrong with Orange Theory Fitness, but I think. Knowing what I know in the field, my problem with it is that I could not read from the script because every time I hear it, I'm like, well, <laughs> actually, maybe this, and my stupid analytical mind goes after it, and then it just it ruins my no. ability. To Nothing do it. is wrong with Orange Theory. No, we're just but trash. the <laughs> issue with Orange Theory is is when they do their promotions and advertise how it is they pr- uh, describe how high intensity interval training works. They come across as if when you do high-intensity interval training that you're burning hundreds of calories afterwards, after that. Now, I'm going to have Kyle describe to our listeners here what Epoch actually is, and then I'm going to tell you how many calories you're actually burning after the fact. So please, and the most least scientific explanation you can give. Fine. (laughs) More... More calories. More, uh, more caveman. Less, no, you know, more okay. American millennial talk. EPOC stands for <laughs> Excess Post-Exercise Oxygen Consumption. In other words, the amount of oxygen you're consuming is elevated after exercise. That means you're consuming more oxygen, which means that you are utilizing more calories, which is awesome. Yep. And, and a lot of that has to do with replenishing uh, O2 stores to, you know... Um, uh, you know, metabolizing catecholamines uh, that, that were that were produced during exercise, resynthesizing glycogen, you know, getting rid of metabolites, all this stuff, all the stuff that we messed up during exercise, our body is trying to... We're trying to go back to homeostasis. Exactly. Which, which is where our body wants to be, right? Our body doesn't like to exercise. It wants to maintain one, you know, Let's just, let's just be cool, guys. Let's Netflix and chill, if you will. Yeah. That's what our body wants to do. Um, so whenever we exercise, we kind of irritate the hell out of it, and our body's like scrambling around trying to fix things. And that's what happens during Epoch. Epoch is trying to to fix everything, get it back to homeostasis. Yeah, so what Orange Theory likes to promote is that because of this increased Epoch after this high-intensity interval training that you're your metabolism goes through the roof and you're burning tons of calories 24 hours after your workout. But I'm here to tell you, it's not all it's cracked up to be. In reality, depending upon how long you worked out and how hard you worked out, you might only be burning an extra 25 to 50 calories after that workout. Which, now, think of it in the grand scheme of things. That would actually be very beneficial when you add that up over the course of a 16 to 20 week weight loss program. Absolutely. Where a lot of that, because then during that time, you're at rest. And so when, you're, when your metabolism is slightly elevated for that time when you're at rest, those calories will come from fat. Now, once again, calories in versus calories out, but at this, it, will, it can only help you at that point in time um, to where it would aid in that fat loss while also not contributing to giving a signal to that AMPK, that catabolic pathway that would drive you that into adaptation, <laughs> which is, that's a whole other talk for another day. We will have, have multiple episodes on metabolism. We're kind of having this introduction of metabolism, some, uh, some, some general, um, so, and some then, general introduction, if you will. But then I got a second part to this is the second issue is most people who think they're doing high intensity interval training mm-hmm. are really just doing really, really hard, moderate training. Because it's actually really Man. difficult to do hit. True hit is maintaining your heart rate above ninety percent of its heart rate max for the entire duration of that workout. How many do people or do you know are actually having their heart rate get up to that point when they're doing these intervals on the treadmill? Uh, I see most of them. Yeah, not not at all. So um, think of the uh, so for our listeners to describe how painful real hit should be. Think of watching the hockey players who do the all-out power testing on the Wingate bike bikes. For any uh, of you guys who have seen this, uh, 
I used to be the test dummy for the undergrads for that. Yeah. So wait, what were they? The lactate power? Uh, what was that lab that we taught in exercise phys? Where, where we I think had, we just called anaerobic power. Was it just anaerobic power testing? Yeah. Uh, um, probably a bunch of different names. But many strength thing. conditioning coaches will use those to find out where the lactate thresholds are in their athletes. So when they program their strength and conditioning, that they know how hard and how long to push them in order to get their athletes into a higher level of conditioning to better themselves on the field. Yeah. Uh, so that's real hit training. When you get off of that bike, when you're done with that, you're damn near close to passing out. <laughs> so, <laughs> fun story, uh, real quick. So I, I did my undergrad at Kansas State, and, and I ended up kind of being like a, a volunteer in a lab, so I, whatever that would be. Um, but I would demonstrate to like the freshmen and whatnot that were going through like the whatever exercise physiology lab that was and I would do the, the Wingate test so one time I got done with that and I got off the bike and I went to go sit at like the computers and like I, I must have we had like 30 minutes before I don't know or 30 minutes before the sorry 30 minutes left in class is whenever I finished I was there for a good 30 minutes afterwards because I could not move. I knew if I moved, I was going to vomit. Looking at the computer screen that was off, mind you, there was nothing going on on the computer. It was I just I felt awful. I remember my instructor was like, hey, um, you going to be okay? He's like, yeah, I'll be fine. He's like, can you lock up when you leave or something? Because he had to go. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Just just let me be. Um, that, that's how intense yeah. uh, it is. I actually yeah. just felt this way on the 4th of July weekend in San Diego when I went to go mm. visit my best friend. And <laughs> He was like, he came up to me, and granted, don't tell my coach this, but if he ever listens to this, he'll, he'll figure it out on his oh, own. Oh, I'm telling him. So, during my powerlifting program, you know, I'm not supposed to do extra stuff, but, you know, it was the weekend, I wanted to have fun, I was in San Diego, and he comes up to me, he's like, let's do hit afterwards. I'm just like, okay, cool, let's do some sprints. He's like, no, let's do, let's do sleds. And I'm like, oh, blah. I'm like, damn it. And sleds are awesome for high-intensity interval training, but I have not been conditioned that way in such a long time that I literally, after doing six rounds, sat down i was like rj we gotta fucking go <laughs> was, he's it's like you all right i'm just like i have a trailer like this so, such a long time so so if you're interested in, and i know we're kind of getting off on a tangent here as far as hard high intensity interval training but uh what one of the most popular ones or, or methods or, or protocols that the people use is called tabata which is 20 seconds yeah, 20 seconds of all out with 10 seconds of rest rinse and repeat eight times so that's a total of four minutes now that sounds okay cool um, this doesn't sound that bad, but the simpler the workout is, probably the harder it is. I learned that one actually from, from doing CrossFit. They're like you go on the board, you're like, oh, that looks easy. And then you're like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, <laughs> but that's Tabata. So, uh, maybe a simple Tabata like protocol would be three exercises. It could be just air squats, push ups, and crunches yep. for, for, you know, four minutes a piece. That's 12 minutes total work. You're done. Yep. Like you, you're not going to want to move the next day. Yep. So like when people ask me, well, if that's moderate, if that's really hard moderate, what does HIT look like? Well, it looks like that. Or look at professional CrossFit workouts where they're going balls hard during their entire wads and then they're on the ground after that. Uh, that's what real HIT training is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, b back to our original topic, which was metabolism. Um <laughs> <laughs> So when we talk about metabolism, we're, we're, uh, let's let's just define that by by literal definition here, which is a sum of all chemical processes in the body. Whew, what? Yeah. Um, so basically, anything any English chemi any chemical reaction happens in the body is contributing to metabolism because there's a byproduct that we call a heat, and then there's you know what, whatever the reaction is. So we're not going to get too far into that just yet. So whenever people say you have a high metabolism, that doesn't necessarily always mean fat metabolism because there's different metabolic pathways uh, that, that are in the body like, or, or, or specifically the bioenergetic pathways in which we metabolize carbohydrates, amino acids, and of course fats. Now that's going to be a talk for a later time, but this is what people are always chasing. Like let's, let's get better fat metabolism because I want to lose weight and I want to be, you know, lean and flex on the beach or something. Um, <clears throat> So just kind of, a, I guess, a brief introduction on, on that. What is metabolism? And, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the perfect way to go back, Kyle, now is to, we, we didn't quite finish how to talk about how to maintain lean mass while someone's on a diet. We did not, did we? No, we, we, we completely that. went out. Well, we were we were kind of like, let's talk a little bit about metabolism. No, and we're, we're going we're gonna to explain what this video is all about in the intro. I've already got it planned out. So, uh, but so we touched upon the fact that you want to limit long, steady state cardio, keep it more towards high intensity, and prioritize yes. strength training. And why it is we want to do strength training so badly is 
usually when people go on a diet and they want to lose weight, they have this instant thing where they that clicks in their mind where oh, I need to tone. And <laughs> let me tell everyone who's watching. I hate right that now, freaking term. The word muscle tone was a fabrication of the fitness industry years ago when uh, women were actually afraid to be involved in the gym. Now, this is this is not, you know, what? you know, like a feminist thing or anything like that. Like when they did interviews with a lot of fitness business owners back then, during that time period of like during when the the golden years of Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, it was it was uncommon to see a lot of women going into the gyms. Mm-hmm. So to make the fitness world more attractive to their gender, in order to get them into group exercise and all these other things, they said they call it muscle toning, uh, because yeah. there are so many individuals who are afraid of the myth that if they do strength training or exercise, they're going to become buff. Which, which what, what are they really talking about? They, I mean, well, let's not talk about. Let's, let's get the literal definition in a second. But I think when people say, hey, "I just want to tone," they really want to lose some subcutaneous fat. They want, they want, they want their muscles to be a little bit harder. Which is simply a change in body composition. What is actual muscle tone? So muscle tone is just having a larger degree of muscle mass on the body in comparison to fat mass. That's it. Mm. That is all that is. You have more muscle now. Way to go. Oh. Okay. So, but the biggest mistake that people make when they start this uh, start on a diet is they they see all these cookie cutter programs that are low weights, high reps, tons of sets, and isolation exercises. Mm-hmm. When from our knowledge of exercise physiology and adaptations to strength training in order to keep muscle mass around in order to stimulate muscle mass in order to adapt in order to grow you need to challenge the muscle mass and in order to recruit fast twitch muscle fibers which are your larger muscle fibers you need to lift heavier weights you need to do what is called progressive overload don't expect to be able to keep around a lot of your muscle mass if you're not challenging in uh, challenging it in a way to where it's going to be able to enhance those fast twitch muscle fibers. Now, you're going to have some individuals, like certain exercise physiologists out there that I'm not going to name on this podcast, that will say you can achieve hypertrophy, which is the increase in muscle size, in any rep range, whether it's for muscle endurance, which is reps of 12 so, reps or higher. Can I cut in on cut that? Cut in, go ahead. So I, I think... I think Here's where I can not necessarily get on board, but I maybe I, I haven't I don't know exactly what you're talking about. I think I have an idea, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, th- there's an optimal range for certain types of muscles. I would say like you're not going to see optimal hypertrophy uh, in the biceps if you're doing a 150 repetition set. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Um, n- nor will you see optimal uh, you know hypertrophy with one rep. Correct. So just based off of the, the really simple logic we're applying sure. here, there is a better range. There is, um, but I'm, I'm to, to set my point. What I'm trying to get to the point is, is so you can build muscle mass in any rep range, whether it's doing sets of 50% of your one RM in an endurance range, which is 12 reps or higher, or hypertrophy, which is increase in muscle size, which most bodybuilders will do, which is anywhere from six to 12 reps at around 60 to 85% of your one repetition maximum, and then pure strength which is anywhere from one to five reps of anywhere upwards of 85 and higher percent of your RM. Mm-hmm. Now, they've shown in research studies that you can build muscle in every rep range as long as the common denominator here is that you're increasing the load over time. Mm-hmm. You have to increase the t- intensity. And for strength training, to increase intensity, you must increase the weight. Now, what they've also found, and this is why I'm making my point here, especially when you're in a diet, and you want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible, in order to hit all the fast twitch muscle fibers you possibly can, you have to have that good neurological adaptation, which you can only achieve well in the strength training range. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, and they found this, that the, the most optimal way to build overall strength and that neurological adaptation is to lift in the one to five rep range simply because you're never lifting as heavy in the other two ranges. And... If you talk to if they've did they've done interviews with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronnie Coleman, Greg Park back in the day, who was an inspiration of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who said one of the biggest flaws in today's bodybuilders is that they've completely skipped over the whole building a neurological foundation of strength. Yes. If you look at classic bodybuilding, the reason why their aesthetics were so different compared to today's is because they had that strength foundation. 
They understood the purpose of lifting heavy ass weights, doing the heavy multi-joint compound movements, squats, deadlifts, power cleans, overhead press, bench press. Whereas nowadays, it's, you know, they all look like the state puff marshmallow men on steroids. Yeah, now, nowadays, there's a lot of emphasis on, on different different joint angles, angles, not ankles, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, angles, different ways that I can basically recreate the wheel, recreate the biceps curl or, or the chest press or anything like that, when in reality, you still need the strength because if you don't have the strength, you're not going to be able to apply enough mechanical tension one of the big founding variables for hypertrophy to elicit hypertrophy. 100%, and that's my point. And they'll, so I'll, I'll usually tell that to my brand new students who go straight into bodybuilding once they learn about strength training, which is not what you want to do. No. You want a good strength training foundation to have the neurological adaptation so that when you do start a bodybuilding program, you're ultimately going to be able to utilize a greater degree of motor units, a greater yeah. degree of muscle mass to perform your bodybuilding, which, in layman's terms, y'all, means more goddamn gains. <laughs> and I don't know how else to spell it out for you. Yeah. And especially when you're dieting. And so my coach would tell me this all the time because I used to be trapped in that mindset, bodybuilding, 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 bodybuilding. But especially for natural athletes, if you're not using performance enhancement drugs, the cookie-cutter bodybuilding workouts just don't seem to work as well. No. Whereas in order to actually enhance your physique and your aesthetic, you have to be able to enhance what's natural for the human body through that strength progression. Building up that neurological adaptation to activate more motor units, to synchronize your muscle groups working together throughout these larger taxing multi-joint movements that's actually going to have a better degree of you having an adaptation and growing from that than doing these crappy cookie cutter bullshit bodybuilding diets that unless you're on steroids probably won't have as much impact on you or unless you have genetic gifts which is also very apparent in the fitness industry yeah so to, to, to you know we've gotten a tangent a little bit on, on the hypertrophy but uh, it's it's still important to to note as far as like when we're talking about overall weight loss yeah we want to stimulate that protein synthesis from from basically Making our body do it, right? It's a said principle. Specific adaptations to impose demands. The imposed demand I'm putting on my body is that I'm I'm working those muscles. And if I don't work those muscles enough to build strength and to 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 build size, if you will, then what am I expecting to happen? Especially if I'm in a caloric deficit. If I'm in a caloric deficit, I'm uh, I'm catabolic, right? We'll just throw it out there like that. Um, I am more likely to lose the lean mass, which which we'll go into a later episode when we start talking about metabolic adaptations and how if I've been dieting for a while, how how does my metabolism actually actually change over time? So, ooh, I think he's taking a picture of me. <laughs> hey. Podcast in a closet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had, okay. So full disclosure, guys, we're having trouble trying to get rid of this echo. Uh, looking for a place to record this. So we are now in uh, my master closet, which, <laughs> you know, kudos to my wife for having a million dresses. And, and having Mr. 50 oh, we here have, with us. We have one of my pit bulls with us right now. He's, he's the best, the most beautiful pit bull. Except for every time you curse, he, he looks he looks a little scared. He's like, oh, crap, what's happening? He's like, why, why are my dad and Uncle Chris yelling at each other? <laughs> I don't get it. Why um, don't these... People just want to learn right about the human body. Why? Don't, I don't understand. Why is it they're assholes? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so one metabolism. Beer. Yeah, right. One beer. Uh, <laughs> what, metabolism is talking about all, all the chemical processes in the body, right? We're talking about when we talk about weight loss and metabolism. We want to, uh, or, or weight, we'll talk about weight loss. We're talking about calories in, calories out. If you're in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight. Now, how if you want to keep as much muscle mass because who doesn't, right. um, you're going to want to stimulate that with adequate protein and adequate resistance training. Correct. So we want to stay away from just... Challenging ex- adequate resistance Yes. Training. We want to stay away from extreme caloric deficits. We want to stay away from very low protein diets, which do you know that there are protocols out there for What the hell? Protein diets? Why would they do that? I don't know who I was talking to. They're like, oh yeah, I tried a low protein diet. I'm like, why the would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sound that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why don't you just um, get skinny fat now? You pain yeah, in the Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? This is this is one of the um, I'm go, I'm going to mm, 
I'm gonna say it. Go One of the things that I that I have a problem with, and not necessarily with the protocol, but with the people who are ignorant on how to do it, which is any sort of vegetarianism. I have no problem with any type of vegetarianism, whether it's vegan or whatever. My issue is that people will sit there and they will eat the garbage package, vegetarian approved bullshit, and they're sitting at less than 50 grams of garbage protein in a day. I'm like, yep. well, what the hell do you, are you expecting to, to actually get out of this? Yep. And, and, you know, whatever. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But you're not going to be optimal. And you're not going to be able to exercise. No. You're not going to be able to lose weight very well. And to be fair to <laughs> individuals who adopt a vegetarian lifestyle, once again, we have nothing against that. Because there are no. vegetarians who do it right. Absolutely. Uh, they do it really right. They, they've uh, There's been many people to show. Vegetarian there's vegetarian bodybuilders, bodybuilders uh, who do an awesome job with this. It's... It's the, the fast, trendy ones that drive me crazy. It's like, if you're going to adopt a lifestyle like that, get Understand educated it. on it. Like, really. Learn. Learn. Learn that you're not getting a complete amino acid profile when you're taking animal products out you of your know, diet. <laughs> I think I sent you this uh, today. Uh, Lane Norton posted something about collagen. Oh, good luck. Did, did, good you, God, read, Lane. did you watch that? No. No. So, he, he it, it, was, it was good. It was good. He, he wasn't talking about his PhD. <laughs> uh, which Lane, if you ever hear this, um, we like you. You're cool. We like but you, and we like dangerous. your PhD. Um, <laughs> don't worry. That's what she said. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> anyway, wait. What is that? Never mind. Never mind. Um, <laughs> talking about collagen protein and how people take collagen to increase muscle mass, which is holy crap, pathetic. Oh, um, it, okay, so w- when it comes to protein, when we're talking about protein quality. Um, that we need to look at the amino acid content, right? Which is the amino acid profile or whatever we want to call it. But we're also looking at leucine content. The leucine content is one of the biggest indicators of how the quality of protein. It's going to be the one that, that, that stimulates protein synthesis. Collagen is about 3%. Okay, that means nothing. But let's just put it to like a quality protein like egg, which I think is 9%. 9% chicken's like 7 or 8%. Whey protein is around 11%. Um, so... Three percent is garbage. Do not rely on collagen for no way. protein synthesis. Um, anyway, anyway, a few tangents in this episode, but and I'm not even aware of what. And honestly, those of you who take collagen protein, cool. I'm not banging it, but at the same time, I'm not educated. I've never done research on it to really know the benefits of it. All I know is that when I see it on Instagram, more than likely it comes from a person who does not have credibility or education in anything exercise science or nutrition. And I think this is the perfect segue to go into this now Mm -hmm. with our issues with the fitness industry. Yes. Um, So if Kyle, you know, why why don't you kick us off since I did a lot of talking. Oh man, my issues with the fitness industry. Um, Okay, here it is. Uh, Since you know, this this goes along with my my current kind of um, theme as far as what I'm training for. I'm getting you know getting back on the stage as far as bodybuilding goes, and you get a lot of people out there that do one show, get uh, second place out of three people, and all of a sudden they're fucking diet coach, and it's just. (laughs) This is what you do, and you know what? I fell victim to one of these people, um, and actually this person has grown much since, and, and we've joked about it in the past, or since then, should I say, uh, but it's, oh, this is what I did, so you know what? Why don't you eat four ounces of chicken every meal for six meals a day, and then you're going to have two tablespoons of peanut butter and half a cup of broccoli, and that's it. Why? Oh, plus you're doing two hours of cardio. Okay, cool. Oh, guess what? Now we're in zero carb day. We're going to eliminate all carbs as possible. And then I'm going to have you do resistance training for an hour and a half. And then guess what? You're going to do steady state cardio for two hours. Yes, that is actually something that one of the diet coaches had my mom doing. And good Lord, I wanted to... How did that not instantly push her into metabolic (laughs) adaptation? Uh, I think it did. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, we're speculating here. This was a, this was years ago before I took over her stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. fair warning <laughs> to everyone who's listening to our podcast. We're going to be brutally honest about every aspect of the fitness industry because we're in such a time where anyone can get on any oh platform God, and yes. say anything that they want. Uh, without the credibility or education that they need to have in order to make such an assumption about something. Exactly. So so to finish my my, uh, thing here, right, and I saw this whenever I was working at a gym here called Mountainside Fitness, and you see this in just resistance or personal trainers (laughs) as well as nutrition coaches. Uh, There's nothing wrong with Mountainside Fitness. No, they're Um, great. it, It was more or less that you get people that, like, 
they, they're an insurance salesman. They got the degree in sociology. Whatever, that's cool. I don't really give a crap what you got your degree in. But do not try to sit here and, and get in my lane and try to tell people about you know nutrition. That, that pisses me off more than anything. Like, stay in your lane. I don't try to diagnose diabetes. Yeah. You don't see me trying to, like, you know, fix someone with, uh, you know, some manual manipulation like a chiropractor yep. or Scope whatever. Scope of practice, you guys. Thank you, yes. And that's what people don't understand is that, that, they're, that they're way outside their scope. Just, oh, oh man, you know what? Go for it's it. Coming. Just it's coming. Go. Go. Okay. So, um, <laughs> that was so, my, so I, I'm actually I'm actually a, a level one CrossFit coach, right? And, and I got this so I could you know coach at a gym and then do the nutrition program there and so on and so forth. And and you know what? I, I will say this: the seminar that they did for the, the two days, and I got a discount for being an educator. Blah 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 blah. It was very comprehensive. It was good. It was good. But I'm also talking about whenever I went through this, I had 11, 12 years of experience in the fitness industry. I know how to move. I know the basics. And even if I even, you know, if I'm not used to all the CrossFit terminology, especially like learning how like like kipping and stuff like that was it was difficult. But, you know, I'm getting it down. Point is, you get people out there that are insurance salesmen or Starbucks baristas. Nothing wrong with Starbucks. I love coffee. Um, but. They're, they're these people who are in fields that are completely unrelated to the fitness industry. And then all of a sudden, they're going to coach one of the most complex exercises to to n- new individuals. The snatch? Are you freaking kidding me? That's a hard <laughs> freaking movement. And then you're going to have Susan or Jim or whoever. No offense to Susan's and Jim's listening. But <laughs> that was just the random names coming to my head. But you got these random people who have never had any experience in this field. And then they're going to coach me through the most complex movement. Like, you couldn't even coach me through a biceps curl. So... What the hell are you doing? Stop! Yeah. You know, there's too many, too many people running around this facade of, of, of this this thing where, where they believe that they're these experts yeah. in, in the field. And I'm not saying either, you know, Chris or I or sorry, Coach K and, and or not. Wait, yeah, Coach K, that's me, and you're Coach P. Um, that, that we're uh, <laughs> wow, clearly we're, that we're the top experts, but we have collectively great, we have over twenty five. We have a great deal of experience, experience. in um, both. The anecdotal, the practical world, as well as in the lab and in the classroom. But we get too many people that shouldn't be considered, in quotations, fitness experts that are working as fitness experts. Correct. And, you know, just to give you guys a little bit of preface, both (laughs) Kyle and I work with individuals who are being educated on how to be these fitness professionals. Uh, And one of the biggest things that I see, and I'm not calling out the box gyms like Mountainside Fitness and and LA Fitness and Lifetime because I used to work for them. And they're they're great. It's a great place for a brand new personal trainer to get involved in order to have a broad, uh, how how do I say this? To be able to experience a broad range of populations. Mm-hmm. Because when you work in a box gym, you can work with anyone from an older individual to an athlete to a mom to a, uh, to a sedentary dad. You, you have that access to work with all, certs, all types of niches that will allow you to figure out, okay, what type of training do I actually want to get into professionally? Now, for all my personal trainers who are listening, is to really use that as a time to experience things and to learn and be able to troubleshoot all sorts of scenarios that come your way so you can figure out what is it the type of fitness you want to get into. you got to pay your dues. But also know this, and because it's what I see all the time, most personal trainers in these box gyms don't have the prior experience or the prior knowledge on proper programming, proper exercise science, or the proper uh, rounds of physiology. And, like, I hate to say it, but everywhere I go, it doesn't matter what box gym I see, I can see the lack of training where someone should know about real programming Mm -hmm. and how to actually manipulate the acute training variables. Because although a great, hard-ass, random-ass, circuit training type of workout might be great in the short term, especially to get someone interested in fitness and interested in losing weight and having fun and exercising, that's great. I have nothing wrong with that. But I, I see something wrong with that when it has no direction. When it doesn't build on anything, when you're not having any sort of progression to show, okay, how are you increasing the volume? How are you increasing the intensity? How are you being able, what's, what is measurable here? Because I'll be honest, when I was fitness director on the East coast, I had many trainers that I would have to sit down one-on-one and ask them, where's your program for this client? Where is it that I can see what it is you guys are working towards? And half the time I would have trainers come to me and say, oh no, no, don't worry dog. It's all up here. 
I got this. And I'm like, what do you mean you got this? Like, because now I can see exactly the reason why it is that you're the one trainer in my department that's a tritting out where clients are constantly dropping. Because although it's fun in the beginning for their clients, they eventually figure out that that gets stale and they make no real progress. They don't mm-hmm. stick around for the long haul. And it's because these trainers either A, don't have the knowledge of periodization and how to manipulate acute training variables, but are also, and I'm sorry to say this, half-assing your job, which usually yeah. reflects on whether or not this profession is for you. Because if you're going to be a real personal trainer, you're more than a personal trainer. If you really want to have a, an impact on someone's life, you are involved with them outside of the gym. You're sending them text messages. You're giving them positive reinforcement. You're allowing. You're setting goals for them. Go ahead, Kyle. So, uh, on that note, kind of a play devil's advocate. A, a lot of these trainers don't make a lot of money, though. No, and, and I get that. And, and that that doesn't give much incentive. Like, if you're going to pay someone, you know, two hundred fifty dollars flat month, and, and I think this gym knows who they are, a two hundred fifty dollar flat month, uh, you know, salary plus, you know, maybe eight bucks an hour or twelve bucks an hour, like. I'm sorry. You know how much time it takes me to think through like what I need to do for this client and then make adjustments and, and you know even just the training for me to be that person. Like at times, I 100 percent agree. And and, and th- that's where we start to. I think this is the, the big problem with the fitness industry. We have these inexperienced, ill-prepared trainers, but we also got an industry that doesn't really give a shit because they're trying to just turn out programs. They're trying to get people in the door to pay for a package so they can get money and, 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 you know, pad their bottom line. It's almost as if we've got, we've, we've got the trainers that are trying to go the real way, like getting an education. And then we've got our entrepreneurs who are, you know, pretty much winging it and doing everything off the beat of their own drum. Uh, which, unfortunately, they're the ones making all the money because and, they're their own bosses. And the people who get caught up are the actual clients, and they're the ones who actually see or are or, or, or really just being, you know, jerked yeah. around. So, so I want to have a I have a piece of advice for both areas here, for the consumers and for the personal trainers out there. Kyle and I are both still, by heart, personal trainers. So we, we have love for you all. But... My advice to you is not only become educated on these pro- on everything that it is, exercise science and how the human body works, so that you can provide a better experience, but also take care of yourself as far as getting yourself in the door to making it a worthwhile life for you. Yes. And make your, make your own business. Box gyms are great to start out, but if you want to have a really fulfilling life as a personal trainer, you have to break out on your own. Absolutely. And in, 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 a, in a day and time where a lot of people will say that the fitness industry is saturated, which I agree to a point. Yeah, yeah. But there's billions of people out there that need your help. And the only way to separate yourself from another person is just to simply be yourself. Be creative and authentic to who you are. Because when it comes to establishing relationships with people, someone is going to purchase your services over another simply based off of how you made them feel. Absolutely. 100%. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you have MS, PhD, CSCS, CPT, any any type MD, any type of lettering after your name, and even if you do, if you if you write the perfect nutrition program or the perfect exercise program, if you don't have that rapport, if you don't have that whole like connection with that person, then yeah, I'm, I'm I wouldn't hire you either. I don't really give it yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you have to have that relationship, and that's what I mean. That's what the fitness industry is. It's a lot of consumer base. You, know, you need the science and, and whatnot, and, and I think some people get into it thinking that they're just going to be this prestigious, you know, yeah. Jack Diesel person or Rip Girl walking around, and, and people are just going <laughs> to want your information because you look good. And that might be the case uh, on a superficial level, but after a while, you will you'll fail. If you cannot make those connections. And, and for my consumers out there who are purchasing fitness, strength and conditioning, uh, weight loss services, for the love of God, do your homework. Yes. For the love of God, see someone's credibility. See where they've come from. Look at their past history and references because we live in a day and age where there are great coaches out there. There really are. There are amazing people that know what they're doing, who have quality services, who will get you the results you want. On the other hand, there's an even greater amount of people who don't know what the hell they're talking about who have the capacity to potentially hurt you. So it's up to you. And Lane Norton actually did a video on this where he called out a recent uh, social media, I guess, uh, tyrant. Not tyrant. That's a wrong word. 
social okay. a, a, so, a, a successful social media influencer who actually got caught in scamming and doing all these other things. I won't say her name here. Oh uh, yeah, I remember but that. he did a video on this and called her out on not being able to take care of her clients the right way, uh, and probably due to the fact that she just couldn't handle the fame that came to her so fast. And, and probably volume, honestly. And probably volume, but at the same time. Also talking to the consumer saying it's your fault for choosing someone who didn't have the credibility. Because when you go on Instagram, there's no regulation. You can say whatever the hell you want to say as far as what your qualifications are. So please, consumers, do your homework. Especially if you're getting online fitness services. And honestly, get get some reference. Some other clients uh, talk to their, their their current clients, their past clients. You know, I, I like getting current clients and, and past clients. You know, why did that person leave? Because you'll get a full story as far as what's going on. Um, and if they're not willing to give you contact for any previous clients, then maybe you shouldn't hire them. Um, you know, again, that's just my own personal personal approach to any any type of service. Uh, that's fun. <laughs> All right. So I think this is, uh, I guess we're going to come to a close on this particular episode, right? Yep. So we're, we're, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, this is what we're calling like a kind of a, like a weekend getaway talks, you know, where it's going to be a lot less formatted. It's going to be a lot less organized. Um, but it's because we're just shooting the shit and talking about real stuff that's out there. Whereas during the week when we come out with other episodes, they'll be a lot more focused. Yes. Um, but that's, you know, you have to have these conversations when it comes to absolutely health and how to help people out there. Because this, this is the real stuff. This is what's going on out there. These are current events. And, and yeah, you, you really do have to have these conversations because we can give you all the science and all the cool stuff that we, that we geek out about. Yep. Um, but you know, for the consumers, for, for, real life application which is a big part of what this show is about uh we have to have these conversations yep 100 so guys thanks for listening yes, as, thank you as always uh please follow us at c perry 001 and or, at oh sorry go ahead at x underscore rec underscore it it <laughs> underscore ralph oh. underscore x good oh. god we need to get him a different instagram handle nope, it's staying <laughs> if you can find me you really want to follow me and if uh, you don't want to follow me, you're not going to go through it. <laughs> um, I think that's basically how it is. So anyway, um, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, check out, I mean, check out our social medias because we're going to have those, uh, you know, little brief, you know, you know, coach talks or inspirational talks. Uh, I'll, I'll be logging my whole like uh, return to the stage, you know, aspect, and, and it's going to be unique. It's not just going to be a bunch of me just flexing in the mirror. Uh, there's probably going to be no flexing, actually. Yeah. Uh, I hate that <laughs> crap. And, um, and thanks for joining us on this journey. We're <laughs> yes. brand new to the podcast game, but we're going nowhere but up. So no. we're glad to have you here. Guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Coach, peace out. Bye.